Welcome to the Winsome Conviction Podcast. My name is Tim Yohoff. I'm a professor of communication at Biola University in La Mirada, California. And I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Rick Langer. Rick, great to be back. Thanks, Tim. It is. Uh, we are really looking forward to the guests we have today. It's a privilege for us to be able to do the Winsome Conviction Podcast. And one of the things we do a lot is talk to people who are kind of out doing something about the contentious climates in which we live. Um, and I would point out, it's probably no surprise, but these climates are not just an American problem. Mm. This is a thing that is very much uh, happening around the world, and we often see the changes and currents that are going through our own country and are sometimes oblivious to what's happening elsewhere, which has all kinds of problems. One is a lack of empathy, but the other is a lack of learning from experience. And so our guest today, uh, Prashant Devisser, is a person who has, is, Prashant's from uh, Sri Lanka, but has been really active in some very, very contentious situations there uh, with a civil war that went on for almost 28 years, I mm -hmm. guess, and uh, just began to, grow, growing up in that climate made him think a little bit about what do we do with contention and how do we, how do we work to make things just a little bit better. So I'm really fascinated. Thank you so much for joining us, Prashant. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute privilege uh, to be in this conversation with you both. You have a... a interesting and probably for our audience a helpful background in terms of having been educated in the states you went to gordon college notre dame uh tim and i had your uh sister in a class here at biola yes 10 years ago yep. so we have a little bit of family connection here on all of those things as well now i would love to have you just give us a little bit of background about the sri lankan civil war what was going on there and how that kind of impacted your own life and kind of set you on the trajectory that you've, you've been on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we were born into the Civil War. I was born in 1984, and I believe the Civil War started erupting by 1981, and it ended in 2009. So a good chunk of our life, we lived in the midst of the war. Fortunately for us, we lived just outside the city. Uh, but there were many people who lived right at the the war zone in the north and east of the country. For them, it was the impact of the war was daily. For us, going to school in the city, our reality was you had uh, suicide bombings where the uh, Tamil terrorist organization named the LTTE at the time, uh, they were one of the first to come up with the concept of a suicide bomber. Mm. And they had the ability to recruit young people, brainwash young people, uh, to strap a bomb around their waist and come to the city and blow themselves up because they felt that was the only way they could have freedom, have their own state, have justice, and they brainwashed young people who believed that was the way to go. They also were a pretty brutal organization. They managed to get young people to wear a, a cyanide chain, mm. cyanide capsule chain, where if they were wow. captured, they will eat that and kill themselves so that they would not be interrogated and not give away secrets. Um, at the same time, it was a reaction to the injustices that took place against minorities in post-independent Sri Lanka, where now in a democratic structure where the majority had power, there was a lot of oppression. Uh, and um, as a result of that, some people didn't believe in nonviolent solutions. Some of these young people thought violence was the way, and that was the birth of it. So civil war definitely took away a lot of the potential of our country. Um, at independence, we were the second strongest economy in Asia in 1948. Wow. They used to call Sri Lanka the Switzerland of Asia. Huh. And um, high literacy rates, extremely gifted people, very diverse. They thought all of this will work in our favor. Uh, but unfortunately, because of the bickering, the prejudice, the hate, which led to violence, 
uh, we continue to fail as a country economically. Today we're a bankrupt nation, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, we have defaulted on our loans. And um, countries that were far less promising have raced past us. And the only thing we have to blame is the fact that we couldn't come up with an inclusive Sri Lankan identity. Mm. We couldn't deal with our problems non-violently. Mm. And uh, good people turned the other way or left the country and contributed to brain drain and uh, put us in the situation where we're in today. So now a new generation needs to put things right. It's not over yet. Mm. We can transform this country, and that's what uh, my passion is and our generation, I believe, is is stepping up, and we believe we could see a change for our children. And you've started an organization. You're the founder of Global Unites, mm -hmm. which is exactly trying to do that with a younger generation. Two quick questions listening to that background. One, uh, in, gra in my grad school, we did a, a very unique class with um, a class in Tel Aviv. And so we would be synced up with them. And I remember one time they had to immediately abandon the class because of a bo uh, missile threat. Mm -hmm. What's it like to live under that kind of stress? Mm -hmm. I mean, what impact do you think it has on individuals and communities to have that be the background of your daily life, mm -hmm. uh, what was happening in Sri Lanka? Yeah, I think there hasn't been enough studies done on the impact of that kind of trauma. Mm. Consistent danger that you're living in and the impact it has not just on your well-being but then on your DNA and how it has an impact on the next generation and on, on and on. So uh, as a result of that, and also many of our countries, there's a taboo of talking about mental health issues and trauma issues. You don't mm -hmm. really speak up about it, especially men uh, don't feel comfortable talking about what they're going through. And as a result, you have post-traumatic disorders, you have alcoholism, you have domestic violence, you have all these other issues, social issues just spike, spiking, and you're wondering where it came from. You don't have to wonder too much. If you <laughs> do enough study, you know, this is all as a result of... And so, yeah, so as a movement, what we realized is first we created a movement called Sri Lanka Unites uh, to see how can the next generation not make the same mistakes? Mm. How can we address the grievances? How can we pursue justice and really transform the conflict? to build an uh, inclusive, thriving, and just society for all Sri Lankans, regardless of their ethnicity and their religion. And so that's the work that we started. Uh, it's 15 years now. Yeah. Today we have over 30,000 members across the country. Uh, and we can confidently say that we have more influence on young people than any extremist group, any racist group, any gang, or so on. We are able to recruit, and we're recruiting from the very regions that they were thriving in before, mm. and, and telling young people there is an alternate, there is a way, a non-violent way, and we can find justice. Look at what violence has brought us. Yeah. Look at how this has destroyed us even further. And you can um, build amazing alliances with your former enemy. Mm. And those alliances help bring justice for you and for them. And, you know, that's the beauty of it. You can't do it by yourself. And letting them know that it's not monsters across the aisle there. There are people. People who wanted to manipulate you told you they were monsters. And they segregated our societies so that it was easier to believe that lie. But when you start building bridges and people interacting with each other, you start realizing we were lied to. And we can work together. Mm. And we can build justice and uh, a thriving society for us. Oh, I just we wish this related to the Winsome Conviction <laughs> Project, Rick. <laughs> I just wish there was more points of connection that we could. So, so let me I invite you to unpack in a little bit more detail this process. It's great to think of the, you mm. know, this kind of transition that goes all the point of people actually forming alliances. I'm sure it doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. So I'd love for you, in fact, it would probably be interesting for us to even hear how this idea evolved in your own mind 
and then how this actually happens. What do you do with a group of, of students, of, of youth, to actually begin making that transformation? What does the end game look like? Talk us through that kind of a process. Great, I'd love to. Um, so what we started doing first was research into looking at the ebbs and flows of conflict in our country. There are patterns. If you take the time to look at how these things emerge, you see that it's not something new. It happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago. We started seeing that every 15 to 18 years there was bloodshed in our country. There was a cycle of violence. And we saw how politicians would cash in at that moment because there was strong political leverage when the emotions were high. And the best way to have a stable base for you as a politician is to have a bunch of people who would uncritically follow you, blindly follow you, because uh, they are so emotionally in, in overwhelmed by their hate or their fear or their grievance. And then you don't need to perform. you got a stable job with a stable base for a good long time, as long as they're not critically thinking. Did you, know? you just switch over to the United States? Are, <laughs> we, still, are we still talking Sri Lanka? You need, yeah, you need to point? signal your turns here. Yeah. I, uh, no, but honestly, yeah. I, I'm listening to you. And again, it'd be really unfair to compare the American context to what's happening mm. in the violence you have just described. But what you just said so resonated mm -hmm. with the fears that often drive the American political machine. I mean, that was really haunting. Yeah, and the reality is it's, it's global. Uh, wherever there is segregation, wherever there is grievances and injustices and social tensions, uh, political communities have found out that that's a perfect place for them to build their base. Mm -hmm. uh, when people give away their right and their ability to critically think and to question and challenge and hold their leaders accountable, it's almost you're giving in to a, a slaved loyalty to a certain base. Mm. And you've lost your right to now question. And then it's just as if you're covering one life or another life. It's like you're covering one mistake for another mistake. And you're not, not afraid to walk away and say, this was wrong. I made a mistake. So and let so me just comment real quick. So we don't know when this will air. But y the listeners just need to know the midterms are literally happening tonight. And it is concerning to me, some of my friends who are like, hey, voting is the easiest thing in the world. I'm voting my party. It doesn't matter. My party gets my vote. Why? Partly because of how the other side's been so demonized and fear, right? Aristotle said the most persuasive tactic we could ever do is fear. Mm -hmm. um, they'll, they'll vote straight party and like, I don't even need to know about who particular people. That's kind of what I'm hearing a little bit from you is this loyalty that's not a critical loyalty that needs to question what's happening every once in a while. Mm -hmm. and let me just add on to that with it, kind of the apocalyptic language oh. about the outcome of yep. an election. This mm -hmm. yep. is the end of democracy. This is, and that kind of fear seems to lead to the absence of critical reflection or any nuance in terms of you know, voting or action points that you might have. But uh, that, talk to us a yeah. little bit more about that. And, and as a result, you have a dumbing down of society, mm. where at once where a clash of ideals help refine the society, help find the better solution for how the country could thrive, now ends up looking at the country's capacity to think is shrinking each day. And the yeah. problems that you came to the table to solve are getting worse by the minute. But your resolve to be stubborn and almost idiotic on your side mm -hmm. is stronger. And for those of us who have a lot of admiration for your country and your democracy, especially in the last decade or so, we're watching in horror because mm. this was supposed to be a beacon of light to the world of what democracy looks like. And we were 
inspired by intelligent conversation of the clash of ideals to help refine the country to not just be better your country, but as a result, be a blessing to the world. And now we're watching in concern, saying, is this where the solutions are going to come from? So the people need to rise to be able to say, when have we abdicated our God-given right to critically think, uh, to question, and, and to, as a result of that, um, are we doing right by the generations to come? Oh. So I'm, I'm sorry I've moved away from talking about how we started yeah. in Sri Lanka Nights, uh, but I'll get more to that because I'm very passionate about, about your country and your politics as well. Uh, but uh, going back to, so when we started, so how do we bring about solutions in our mm. country? Um, we saw the ebbs and flows of conflict. We saw those cycles of violence. And we saw how politicians manipulated that. But we also saw how young people were brainwashed to believe that violence was the only way. Because you, you, in order to push an ideology, you need youth. And especially if it's going to be violent, you need them on the battlefront. And this happened time and time again. And so what we started, our approach was, let's look at why do young people believe that the other side are monsters mm. and violence was the way. And when we did research, we found that 70% of Sri Lankan youth didn't have a friend outside their ethnicity or their religion. We're a small island the size of West Virginia. Mm. 22 mm. million people packed in there. And if you tell me that 70% of our youth don't have a friend outside their ethnicity or religion, that's intentional planning. When we go to the school system, there are 10,400 schools out of which only 112 schools have Sinhalese and Tamil medium taught in the same school. Over 9,000 schools are strongly segregated. That's a perfect environment for people to sell a lie without question, mm. sell hate, sell prejudice, sell fear without question. And that's why young people are vulnerable to it. So we felt the key for us is for us to create an inclusive Sri Lankan identity, to break the segregation, and then together break down the structural evil and the injustices that were in society that were hurting all of us. And so we felt older generation may not take it. They are now dug their feet too deep in somewhere to walk away from it. Maybe they're young. So we call it Sri Lanka unites a new generation dares to unite. And that started the journey. We started bringing young people across enemy lines and start helping them build friendships. And they were shocked. Because inherited prejudice, we believe, can be overcome by real-life experiences. Mm. I would have been mm. told all my life that this community were dangerous, they were violent, they were monsters. But if I'm sharing a room with a guy from that community and I find out within hours that I like this guy, he's, he's just like me. And yes, we don't agree on some things, but I enjoy being around. This guy makes me sharper. That's what happened to thousands of young people. We've engaged 1.5 million youth in Sri Lanka, and every wow. one of them. That's tremendous. And it's almost, we're calling it like we were vaccinating a generation <laughs> oh, to be great. immune from the, the virus that's going on from one generation yeah. to the other. So they can now think for themselves and say, the next time a politician comes and says, you know what, this, don't lie to us. I have plenty of com people in that community, and we're not going to buy that. Give us solutions. If you don't have it and you're incompetent, get out of the way. Give us a chance to perform. So we did something on a much smaller scale. We're not quite up to, what did you say, <laughs> one point what million? Yeah, 1.5 million. Sri okay, we are not at the 1.5 million. <laughs> but we almost hit 20. We so almost hit good. 20. Uh, we were part of something called Bridging the Gap, which is a group by Simon Greer, bringing together conservative and liberal universities and colleges where students wouldn't never apply to both. Right, And we were paired with Pomona College, 
and we brought together roughly uh, 10 students from each university, and they spent two different weekends together. And honestly, Prashant, what you're saying is these students liked each other immediately. And they, they went off to, uh, to late night. We're in bed. We're the old people. <laughs> We're in bed, and they're off having round two at a restaurant laughing, talking. So that is the power of that. But we, we don't see that crossover, crossing the lines very often. It is so encouraging to hear the scope of what you're doing, I think, just gives us great hope that these things can happen, not just on a small scale, but on a big scale. Yeah. Because all the time we've been forced to believe that it's either option A or option B. Mm -hmm. And we just have to stick there. But you bring a new generation to the table who are thinking of it from a brand fresh perspective. They come to the table. And especially now if you help them have that interaction and have that human connection with the other, and they're now able to look at an option C, an option D. There were so many different ways to approach this issue. But we were so stubborn in believing this was it. And if you didn't believe it, I have nothing to do with you. You're a threat to my country. You need to mm. get out. And as a result, we're just hurting ourselves and destroying our children's chance. So what we're telling the older generation is, OK, maybe you're stuck at A and B, and you don't want to move at anything. At least don't curse your children to be stuck at A and B. But Give them a chance. What would be my motivation to do that? If I'm stuck in A as a parent, but I really do believe A, is the uh, right option, both morally. Um, what, what incentive could you give me as a parent to suddenly look at my child and say, okay, but you don't have to adopt position A? Yeah. What, I can't imagine these children are receiving much encouragement from their in-group to pursue the kind of things that you're talking about. Yes, yeah, so we had to be strategic about that. What we did was we called it the Future Leaders Conference <laughs> and then in small print for Hope and Reconciliation. Uh, and so the parents <laughs> were like, my kid was selected as a national level leader, which was mm -hmm. true. We were not mm -hmm. making anything up. Right. There was amazing potential of these young. And we brought them together. And when they came in, they thought they were just going to room by, with people from their own school. But they find out that the, uh, 25 districts of our country, 25 young leaders in one room, they're sharing that room for five days. They're engaging in conversation. They're doing challenges together. They're in the same sports team. And now they're anyway competitive. These are very strong leaders, and, and they want to win, and they realize the only way to win is to start building alliances within my own team. And, and that just transforms. So once they are hooked, and once they start realizing, my goodness, there's so much, we're accomplishing more across ethno-religious lines mm. together. We're sharper together. There's so much everybody brings to the table. We were playing with our hands tied back as a country all this time. We're free. We can do something. And it's, it's one of the most inspiring moments in my life to see these kids not just connect, but now be so much more effective together than alone. And then they go. And these are not kids who are you know, failing out of school and prob causing problems to their parents. Their parents were pretty proud about it. And when they went back and told their parents, they had influence over their parents. And then some of them was like, no, you have to be careful. That's, we don't believe this. No, I'm bringing them home. My friends I met there from the oh. north are oh, coming wow. home for dinner. <laughs> they are going to stay the weekend. And when I went there, they treated me like this. You better do this. And now a lot of our students are saying, I have a parent in the north and I have my parents in the south. Oh, wow. wow. I have this kind of food, the culture, the experience. It's happening. So many exchanges happening. Just having a meal together heals so many wounds. And just really breaking bread and having that fellowship, sharing your rooms together, doing life together, takes away years of prejudice and hate and the mold and the rust that came in as a result of that segregation. And then life flows. And, and we believe that that's, it, it sounds simplistic, mm. but it's profoundly impactful. And we've seen that. 
And then they start looking at, hey, what sort of policies can we come up with that will help us move forward? Mm. Okay, my community won't buy that, but this they will buy. Because most of the time, we don't even have the capacity to think of policies and ways forward because we don't know enough about the other community or what they really yeah, want. Right. We just know what we don't like about them. And as a result, we're not gifted enough to be creative to come up with solutions. But now when you have an ally across the aisle and you are able to come up with solutions, not just from a new perspective, but now you know what could work. And both sides come together and create something. And that's what gives us a lot of hope for Sri Lanka. And we are in a very bad context now. And finally, the beauty has been that people, even the older generation, are questioning, saying, wow, these guys sold this racist narratives mm. to get elected. And they are corrupt. They ransacked our country. And they bankrupted, bankrupted the nation. It's time we start not falling for that same lie over and over again. We have to come together. We have to give young people a chance. We have to allow new emerging political parties to have a chance. And so now we're creating new emerging political parties that have no ethnicity, have no religion, have no, but have a co coalition with a new vision for the country. Talk to us a little bit about what you actually had the students do. It sounds like you pulled together yeah. some people from the different districts, had them living together. Was this like a week-long camp experience, you know, uh, you know, out in the way where you're doing intensive study? Was it an ongoing year-long project? How, how was it structured? How did it work? I would say there are four stages to it. Uh, one of the main stages is the actual conference. It's residential, living together for five to six days. Okay. And then we split them from their communities and they're mixed together. And so they compete with each other. So there's sports. Sports is crucial. There's a lot of singing. There's a lot of dancing. There's a lot of debate on and talking of policy. So plenary sessions in the morning talking about the massive challenges of our time and then having them mm. have debates on it, ha sharing their speeches on it. Um, you know, So th a lot of intellectual conversation in the early sessions of the day, and then in the afternoon, building their skill set. So how can you be more cons convincing yeah. and persuasive in your communities to win people over? And then in the evenings, a lot of sports and pro problem-solving activities. You know, see, how, how do you think outside the box? And in the evenings, it's entertainment, music, drama, uh, and, and all sorts of... So you'd go to... It's important what we realize is to really have an impact in an event. You need to touch the five senses of people. Mm. Their touch, the smell, the experience. It, it's a truly holistic experience. Yeah. Those memories last. And you have to use different pedagogies of teaching content where if it's just stand and deliver and you're preaching at them, that might work for some students. But sometimes they learn lessons at the sports time and we debrief after the sports. Some of them, it was that's the way they learn. Some of them was the videos that we created. Some of it, the songs that we've created. You, we just throw everything at them and we know something will stick for everyone. And, and so that's the first stage of it. The second stage but is... But can I... Well, sure. Hang on. That's such a great first stage. <laughs> Let's not go past that first stage because that's what we're missing today. We, we don't get to the first stage because we're in separate communities. And those communities don't have any points of contact with each other. Uh, so we... Uh, my, all my kids played Pop Warner football. And so we would... When the season would happen, we'd travel with these families every single weekend. I mean, they became more... Our joke was, you're more my family than my family because I see you more than anybody. But there was a release valve, which was we would cheer on the football team. And then over dinners is where politics came up, religion came up. But there was a release valve of the football game. Mm. And that's what I love what you're saying about the sports, about the music. That's a release valve that, quite frankly, many of our communities don't have because we, we don't ever intersect with each other. So I don't want to rush past that first stage. That is what we call uh, – we have – uh, emphatic communication, which is pounding the table. 
But phatic communication is all the side things that seemingly don't matter, but they really set the stage for the big talk. So I love that first stage. We, we got to find ways of doing yeah. this. And the beauty is like even on the sports field, for us, cricket is our big sport, mm. right? And all communities play cricket in our, in our country. And when they're playing, now they may have somebody from their own ethnicity playing, pitching against them, but now they're batting. Two batters bat together. Mm -hmm. And if they try to pull cut a corner or do cheat against this guy think, no, this guy's on my team. I don't care right. you're from my same community. <laughs> yeah. And then these guys inspired say, wow, this guy stood up for me. I didn't, they didn't teach us about that, about that community of their willingness to fight for the other person and not take, uh, not roll over. And then the, the way that they will take a, a sacrifice for the team, you know, the way they're fielding and catching. Now you're being inspired by human elements about That's that great. person that you yeah. never taught yeah. about. These were supposed to be self-serving, arrogant, monstrous, violent, <laughs> bloodthirsty criminals. And now you're like, this guy's my teammate. Mm. He's pretty good at cricket. It's <laughs> Maybe <good>. this <laughs> will work. <Yeah. laughs> and then it's just, and it's just, for me, it was so beautiful to watch, you know, two guys batting from different communities. Oh, yeah. And they're just coming, pounding each other. Come on, man, let's do this. And they're just killing the opposition together. <laughs> and they're like, this guy's as good as me. And we, we also, we cheat to a certain extent when they do apply. We try to look at when we're rooming people together. Mm. Okay, here's music connection here. There's, uh -huh. a, there's a sports connection yeah. here. So we give them a chance to succeed. Like, you know, the, this, these personality types will work well together. They'll connect because they already have decades of hate <laughs> working yeah. against them. We need to have something that will work for them. Already their leadership personalities that work. But, and, and so we, this is for young men and women, by the way. So we, we, we do netball with the women and some of the women play cricket as well. Uh, but uh, the second stage for us is, okay, that's great. So it was like for us, those conferences are the heart of the movement. That's where the, heart, the, the hardened heart starts melting. And you'll be... But then we come to the mind of the movement is, okay, now, what are things we really don't understand or we don't agree with each other? And so we created a curriculum of, um, which we call it Sri Lanka Unites Guidebook, a guide to transforming the nation, mm. starting with me. A and so they, they go back to their schools now, once again, they're segregated schools, and they're learning, okay, how do we understand our history? What were crucial moments that have contributed to key elements of who we are today? Yeah. But then how does my friend that I have now from the north, how do they understand history? How is that different and how does that contribute to their understanding? And as a result of that, when they go through history and walk history in another man's, another woman's shoes, mm. they start realizing, oh, that's why they're so strong about this. Mm. That's why they get this. Is, that's why this, this is a nerve point for them. It's not a nerve point for us and we just use it as, as we please, but this pinches. And then they start realizing, okay, so then History is from the different perspectives. Then they move on to, okay, so what are some key policy issues that we're struggling with? Mm -hmm. What are some bills in parliament that we're struggling with? And then what does reconciliation really mean? Mm -hmm. What does conflict transformation mean? What does character and integrity mean in leadership? How do we build the grassroots movement to bring about that change? So it's like now getting the intellectual substance to catch up with the heart that was melting to want to see change. Mm. So you understand what these things mean. So that's like a, we have eight modules that they go through. It's, it's five weeks of learning it together as a team, but they're also, while they're learning here, virtually they're connected with their partner school on the other side. And they have like a Facebook group saying, hey, this was a summary of our reflection on this week's lesson. And these guys say, this was our summary. Mm. Your summary is very different to our summary, but the same content. Tell us about it. So they have a conversation on that. So five weeks of that, and then two weeks of practically, what does this practically look like? This module, let's do something in our community to live it out. 
and that takes it to another level from one oh, then yeah. it becomes the hands and feet so that's the hands and feet of the movement but boy i gotta jump in and talk about perspective taking which is purposely setting aside your perspective and adopting the perspective of another person and living in that perspective to know intellectually what it's like and then emotionally what does it feel like to have that history that community those struggles that, that's incredibly important. Now, m let me get your advice. What we get hit with is, listen, how is perspective taking not condoning? Like if I do perspective taking with a person, how am I not condoning that person's perspective by jumping into it and experiencing it? I, I would love to hear your response to help us. So we also do this thing uh, that, that might help answer the question where as a part of this exercise, you have we have debates, but this team is supposed to take the side of the other. Mm. So now you're debating for a perspective of the other. Mm. So now because you want to win, you're going to look at all the strong points there. And you're so we call it an intellectual exercise on empathy, where they are now, you're just trying to find a way to say why they are right or why they can be persuaded. Wow. And in the whole process is like, you know, while you're getting to it, you're not losing anything here. You're finding common ground and you're understanding where there is hurt. And the reason empathy is you start feeling what the other person's feeling. The other person had, didn't manufacture that and create it in your heart. You started feeling what they're mm. feeling because of your yeah. common humanity. That is you. Mm -hmm. That's what you felt. But then compassion now is us acting together to right the pain that's in your heart. Wow. Empathy is me feeling what you're feeling, seeing what you're seeing. And, and so for the problem is when I don't have the capacity to empathize with you, I am at risk of hurting you constantly because I don't care. Mm -hmm. I don't want to take the time. Intellectually, I have a set of values and that's good. This is who I am. I'm strong. I'm a good person. I've now convinced myself I'm a good person. But I don't want to go there to empathize mm -hmm. with you. And that's the danger when we come to a place, and not everybody, but people who want to be part of the process of being bridge builders and peacemakers and really want to see a change in our polarized societies, mm -hmm. we have to go on deep cycles of empathy because that's the beginning of us becoming bridge builders. And it's not a risk of losing who you are. It's actually gaining mm -hmm. or rediscovering who you really are. Okay. Let's get to three so, and four. Yeah, tell yeah. us about three and four. So we have the heart of the movement, the mind of the movement, and then we go to the stage three, which is the heart, and so the hands and feet of the movement. Mm -hmm. And so the, we call that the champions of change. So now that you've understood some of these concepts, then how do you put change into practice? And how do you do it together? You Across ethnic lines, across religious lines. Mm -hmm. You find a social challenge, you find a problem, and then you say, what could the solution look like? And how do we work on it together? And that's where the beauty of, like, for example, you know, some of these students, uh, they found a community that didn't have access to healthcare. They didn't have, um, they didn't have a hospital for miles away, mm -hmm. and a very rural community. So now this Tamil group and Singular group, they partnered, there, and they said, okay, we'll bring doctors from the north. You guys bring doctors from the south. So we'll have about ten doctors who will volunteer their time, and you guys raise money there. We'll raise money and we'll we'll buy all the the medicines that we could. And we're going to go to this community and we're going to live there for a week. Mm. And we're going to do health clinics. So now these doctors are working together. Not only the kids are coming together, the doctors are coming together. And now they're sharing insights. Hey, in our community, yes, we've had some shortages in these medicines, but this is what we've found out. Now they're sharing medical insights, what they've been learning. 
together. They're serving together. And now the donor base of what they've got, of, you know, okay, I got our community to donate this much medicines. We got this coming. They could have never done that by themselves. Mm. But now they're realizing we were, and then they're like, this is just one clinic. This is not good enough. How do we keep this running? How do we work on this? And they're coming up with solutions. Like, can we do some rotation? Or how do we, can we do some, um, you know, teleconsultation for this community? How do we get some devices here? I can give these hours on these days to check and follow up on the patient. They were solving problems that even their locally elected officials had no clue how to get. <laughs> <laughs> the, and literally, right. these were 15 to 16-year-old boys and girls. Amazing. And, and wow, with very little money, with very little time, they were able to come up with solutions. So that's when champions have changed. Yeah. Not only have you now understood something, you're putting it in practice, and you're solving the issues of our country, and you're coming up with ways. This is a bad day for the freshmen in my class. Right? <laughs> you're this you're is upgrading a, your expectations. This is a bad day. We're rewriting the syllabus this afternoon. I'm telling you. How old are these kids? The group that I was talking about, the 15 and 16-year-olds. And that, that's what the, the project they did. And, and to see it continue to have that impact. That's it's awesome. Absolutely yeah. inspiring that's for awesome. us. And so hundreds of these kinds of projects continue to happen. Oh. So that becomes the hands and feet. So f let's go to the fourth step, yeah. the final step. And the fourth step is, is definitely now looking at, all right, so then how do we now, we've had this experience, we are students who have been selected, but how do you now take it and make it mainstream? Mm. How do you have more people have this experience? Because otherwise it just becomes like another elite group of people who get it and the others don't. So then what are the barriers that they have in their community to have this experience? Mm. And how do we make it possible for the masses to experience it? Because when you have more and more people, not only acknowledging that this is the way to go and being critical of this divisive, polarizing culture and wanting to do it right, that's when you start seeing change. And so what they'll look at is, okay, how do we make it mainstream? How do we take it to the masses? How do we communicate this more effectively? What are the misconceptions they have? So then they'll get on, okay, creating content, whether it's on social media, whether it's getting on mainstream media, whether it's doing street theater, whether it's doing poster campaigns, whether it's doing whatever, you know, to get the masses to understand that this is the truth. You don't need to be deceived anymore. We have to find a way forward. We have a campaign that, that this the fourth stage. It's called Think. You know, in, in our there's a st statement in our culture that says that regardless of how somebody tells you something, the person who's listening needs to be intelligent enough to process it and figure out what's true and what's not. Mm. You just don't jump the bandwagon and get emotional immediately. You have to figure out, is this true? Is this right, accurate? And then how do I respond? What's the appropriate response to this? And what questions do I need to ask before I start responding and reacting to it? And so the whole thing of think, think. Here are the narratives that you've heard, but think. Yeah. And here are the amount of times that these narratives have been wrong and false and manipulative. And here's what happens when you don't think. And here's what could happen if you think. And that whole thing. So they, they, these kids are realizing if we don't influence the masses to think differently, then we'll just become a minority of people who bridge build, uh, build bridges against, uh, to come together, but the rest of society hasn't caught up. And so that becomes the fourth stage. Yeah. It'd be a sad thing if you built a bridge and no one ever crossed it. Exactly. And that's, mm -hmm. that, that's the difference. But it seems to me these steps could be done by a church, uh, um, even reaching out to a church that may be different from them politically, socially, um, theologically. But this could be a, a nice template of communities uh, reaching out to communities. Mm -hmm. uh, the one thing is the conference is, is the kind of the, 
But I wonder if we couldn't have an event that would bring people together that could serve as kind of what the conference is trying to do. Um, but it's so good to hear stories of hope. Yeah. That's what we hope this podcast does is we hear the bad stories in America 24 mm. seven, how divided we are and things like that. And it's true, but man, to hear hope of seeing this work, I think is, is a great gift to our listeners. Thank you so much for sharing your vision. Mm-hmm. And we really are grateful for uh, having you join us here, Prashan. We'll have you for another podcast as well, but we're grateful for that, uh, for, for your willingness to come and join us. Yeah. And as Tim mentioned, to give hope. Yes. Uh, just to conclude, one thing I want to say is that as a result, we believe that this uh, model can be contextualized, and that's how we created Global Unites. And now mm-hmm. we're in 13 countries, from Afghanistan to Congo to Kenya to Colombia, and now here in the States. Great. We're creating opportunities. And so anybody who wants to learn more about it, they can go to www.globalunites.org. Perfect. And USA Unites launched last year, and now it's going nationwide the summer of 2023. And would love for people to learn more, especially for college students and high school students. We really believe they have a crucial role to play in healing the nation. So would you come back in a future podcast with us? We'd love to pick your brain about maybe some of the things in the American context and kind of get your um, thoughts on it. I'd love to. Thank you. That would be great. Well, thanks for joining us for the Winsome Conviction podcast. And uh, we will make sure that we put the, uh, the website information that Prashant just mentioned into our, uh, on, on there on the website. And we really encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Play or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And uh, we're really grateful for your interest in being part of a solution to a problem that's becoming ever more prevalent and ever more dangerous in American culture and as we've seen today all around the world. Thanks for joining us.